Welcome to the HDFS Careers Podcast, the podcast featuring informal conversations with family science majors about their professional journeys. My name is Erica Jordan. Today, I will be sharing my interview with Sapita Nash. I met Sapita with the help of one of my former teaching assistants who found her on LinkedIn a few years ago. Sapita is a graduate of the Human Development and Family Studies program, where I teach at the University of Houston. She graduated before I began working there, so I never taught her in one of my own classes. However, she has kindly served as a guest speaker in my Careers in Human Development and Family Studies class, and my students love hearing her story. We are both excited to share it now with other HDFS students and professionals on this podcast. In addition to graduating from the University of Houston with a major in Human Development and Family Studies, or HDFS, Sapita also earned a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from the University of Houston, Clear Lake. Without further ado, here is her interview. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me, Sapita, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Just to begin, could you tell me a little bit about how you discovered the field of human development family studies or HDFS as an undergraduate? Yeah, definitely. So um, as an undergraduate, um, like many can probably relate, um, my journey was not clear cut at all. Um, It was definitely a a journey, a a roller coaster, I may say. So I actually started off um, at UTSA. I was a biology major um, and I was sort of on the track of pre-dental. And my third year into Um, you know, my major, I was sitting in my organic chemistry class, just staring at the walls and thinking, you know, this is just, this doesn't settle well with me, right? It's just not, it's not something my heart is in. It's not something I feel passionate about. And I could see that in, in the students and my peers around me, I could see, um, you know, the students that lit up doing these labs, or were just so excited to talk about um, you know, the research and things like that. And I just couldn't relate on that level of passion with them. So, you know, I took, um, I dropped out of that organic chemistry class and I took the summer to really reflect and think to myself, what is it that I really want? What is it that I really enjoy? Um, and so I, I kind of started on this like self-discovery journey where I, I reached out to, um, at the time I was at school and I, and I kind of went to a career counselor um, and just talked about this with her and she normalized the process a lot for me. You know, she told me it's, it's normal to feel like, uh, you know, you, you're just not in, on a journey that you want to be in. And she asked me to, to ask people around me questions like what, what is it that you see me? How would you describe me? How would you describe my demeanor with other people? How would you, um, you know, to, to really gain some insight from those of those around me. And so I use that as a resource. So, um, you know, people, one thing that people always told me was that they always felt really comfortable around me. Like immediately they wanted to like share their stories with me and talk to me. Um, and so I knew that my, I really loved human interaction. Um, but I didn't really know where that fit as far as you know, what classes to take and what major to be in and things like that. So as I was having this conversation with my aunt one day, 
I said, you know, I don't really know what I want to do, but I just love talking to people. I love, um, you know, I loved my psychology class that I took in undergrad. And she said, hey, why don't you come out to Southern California and try out child development? And, you know, she's a child development professor. And so when I went out there, I was there for about a year taking child development. And I took a lot of overlapping human development courses. So I took a lot of like family studies, um, you know, child development, things like that. And it really, really gained my interest. And so I kind of knew, okay, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. Um, and when I moved back to Houston, I, you know, I came into U of H. I talked to, um, you know, an advisor and when she described human development to me, it was like, okay, this is perfect. These are exactly the things that spark my interest. Um, and then from there, that was, you know, sort of the, the starting point of everything. Wow. And I jumped in and it, it's, you know, it was, I showed up to every class and I remember thinking to myself, this is what it should have kind of felt. This is what it should have felt like from the beginning you know, that's such a good um, point. And so, yeah, you start off with yeah. the university, university of Texas in San Antonio. Um, you were aware enough to know, yeah, I'm, I'm just not into it. And, um, you start talking to people, the career counselor, your aunt, other people in terms of how they see you to try to gain some insight. And I love that you were brave, brave enough to take kind of transfer to this school in Southern California, just to make a change and explore child development there, um, and then come back and return and select human development and family studies here uh, in Houston when you return. I think a lot of times people are, they're sort of afraid to stray off of the initial path that they set for themselves. Um, and then that cuts you off from exploring other options that might have been a good fit. In your case, it was a much better fit. I love what you say. This is what it should have felt like from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people relate to that in the sense that it, it's kind of one of those things where you start and you're, you know, you're maybe two, three, three and a half years in and you think to yourself, well, I've got one more semester. I've got one more year. I might as well finish. I don't want to start all over again. Um, and so there was a lot of those fears as well, right? It was a lot of, you know, I kind of started this journey of going, you know, all your friends in high school, you graduate together, you go into college together and you think, okay, after four years, we're supposed to be done together. We're supposed to walk across the stage together. And, you know, you don't want to feel behind or you don't want to feel left out. But, you know, talking to so many people made me realize by me, you know, taking an extra year, extra two years in school allows me to feel fulfilled for the next 40 years, 50 years of doing my job. And so there was definitely that sense of, you know, a small sacrifice for something so much bigger. Very, very true. It's kind of taking the long view in the grand scheme of things, um, <laughs> what you're going to do uh, in, for the longer portion of your career makes much more of a difference. So Okay, so you say you love your human development family studies classes. Um, how did you sort of finish out your degree in human development and family studies? Like, I, I guess as you were approaching graduation, what were you thinking about doing? Like, you know, what were your next steps? Yeah, so um, towards, you know, the last semester of 
um, my undergraduate degree, it was one of those things where, okay, this is a stepping stone into a lot of different career options, yes. right? You can work with, with children, with adolescents, with families and nonprofit and, um, you know, multidisciplinary settings, things like that. And it was one of those things where I, like many others, I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Right? right. And so I had this opportunity to, with my professor to put together an internship fair. And she had mentioned that it was one of those things where, you know, there's internship sites, but maybe we haven't really solidified um, sort of some of our partnerships and what we offer and things like that. So at the time it was, we had a resource binder down in the advising office that, you know, it was a, just a binder with pieces of brochures and pamphlets and, oh, you know, these are some places that, that offer. And I thought, you know, this, while these things are great, we want, we need something that's more interactive, right? And so we worked together um, and pretty much worked all semester to turn this into a, a real life event. And we hosted an internship fair where, um, you know, people from hospitals, from childcare development centers, from um, all over Houston showed up. And, you know, it was awesome. It was an amazing event. Um, and I, I was actually an intern at the Office of Undergraduate Studies. Um, On and I worked Yes, on campus, right downstairs, right at the bottom of the um, bottom of the building. And I, you know, at first I kind of thought, oh, this is this, you know, this is a, it's a place of convenience for me as far as like, I go to classes upstairs, I go down, I do my internship, I, I get my hours, like, you know, call it a day or whatever. Not knowing that this opportunity would lead me to um, you know, go on and, and do more and just open these doors for me. So one of the places that kind of came in was um, a place in Houston called Steps to Progress. Okay. And it's a, um, it's a facility that, that does ABA therapy for students on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum. Um, and so that kind of was a stepping stone for me to um, you know, kind of, kind of go, go off there. Yes. And so you started doing applied behavior analysis with kids, mm -hmm. um, kind of working in a one-on-one -on -one setting with, with kids, with children with autism on the spectrum. Yes, exactly. So I started off there, um, doing, uh, ABA therapy with, with kids one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and you know, it was, it was great. Yeah. And so um, when did you decide, okay, I want to transition again, because you eventually went on to earn a master's degree in family mm -hmm. therapy. So when did you decide to kind of, um, shift gears and come out of the workforce and kind of go return to school or what made you make that decision? Or how did you become interested in marriage and family therapy? Those are a lot of questions, but whichever one you want to answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, those are great questions. And, you know, I wouldn't say that it was one thing in specific that led me to that. Um, one of it was definitely, I loved my 
major. I loved learning about humans. I loved the human psyche. I loved um, just, you know, lifespan development. I loved everything, everything that I studied. I mean, all my professors were so passionate. I loved learning about diversity and cultures and things like that. So I always felt like at some point in my life, I, I want to keep learning about these things. There's definitely more to be learned and more um, sort of narrowed down like niche learning. Yes. And so while I was at my job, I was able to be involved in, in, a, in a couple of different settings. So some of it was, you know, data analysis, right? Working closely with BCBAs and, um, you know, looking at research and, and analysis and numbers. And, and what are BCBAs you know, really quickly? Are, BCBAs are behavioral analysts. Okay. So they're board certified behavior analysts. Okay. So they work, um, they, they do a lot of the, um, the assessments and um, they'll do a lot of the research on behaviors and things like that. And, you know, working closely with them, you know, looking at behavior plans, looking at individualized um, education plans, looking at diagnostic paperwork and things like that. So I got that side of it. Um, I got the therapeutic, you know, the one-on-one -on -one setting of you know, just, just that basic human interaction and connection there. Um, and then I got to the, the, the big system of being involved with, you know, the entire uh, disciplinary team. So sitting in rooms with the child, their parents, their pediatrician, their BCBA, um, their therapist, their teacher, right? So sitting in a room and collaborating and, and, you know, everybody giving their perspective, that's when I kind of realized, okay, I love this setting, yes. right? I, you know, it, it's one thing for me to kind of sit in a room with a, with a child or a student all day, every day, and, you know, use a specific technique. Um, but then it's, it's so different that once they go home, and it's completely different right yeah and start and starting to like take notice of those things and start to realize like I started to notice that almost you know m majority of the kids that came into our office mm -hmm. were from a um a, a divorced household right so it was either mom dropping them off dad picking them up um, so they were in, you know, step families or, um, you know, single, single parent families. And I started to realize like something, you know, like why, why is this the case? Like, what is this trend? Right. Um, you know, not, not realizing that that's uh, such a high percentage. I mean, I think it's like 75 or 85% of, um, families that have a child with special needs, um, end up divorcing. Yeah. And so you know, I wanted to kind of take a different angle and take a different approach because I thought, you know, what good is all this, you know, behavioral modifications if, you know, both set of parents aren't upkeeping. Right. It takes everybody to be on board. So you have to really work with the, with the entire exactly. family, which you were getting to do a little bit of, but you realized, oh, I really love this piece, this collaborative piece with the entire system. Right, exactly. Well, in my time with those parents was, you know, 30 minutes on a Friday. Yes. So, 
it was so minimal in comparison to, you know, it was 20, 25 hours a week with a student and then, you know, 30 minutes a, a week, if that, um, with the parents. So I thought, you know, how would this be different if, if I dedicated maybe not all, but, you know, half that amount of time helping the parents get on the same page that, that I do with, you know, trying to correct some, you know, some of the behaviors of, of the child. So yeah. that's kind of when I, um, you know, decided, Hey, I, I want to, I want to pursue, you know, marriage and family therapy. I think it's always so neat to hear, um, you know, when people are working in something that's, you know, kind of different, significantly different from, from the next step they're going to take. But like by doing that work and just getting experience in something that's currently interesting to them, it can lead them to this other path that they hadn't even considered. <laughs> and I just love that about hearing um, about people's professional journeys. So, you know, you're going along working with these kiddos one-on-one um, and doing some collaboration and some research, and then it opens this whole another door for you. You know, you realize, oh, I'm passionate about working with this, this family system as a whole. Um, and so, oh, okay. And so then what steps did you take to kind of prepare to enter into a master's program in marriage and family therapy? And like, what did that program experience? Like, what was that for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, I did, I did a lot of research on, you know, what essentially, you know, at the master's level, there, there's definitely some some, you know, multiple steps on, on, you know, what, what specialty you want to go into. Um, and I, you know, talked to my, uh, advisor in, you know, my undergraduate program, actually, I reached out to her at that time. And I had said, you know, what are your thoughts? You, you, you know, I spent a lot of time in the office with you, you know, where do you feel like I would fit in? Cause I, I mean, I always appreciated people's feedback, especially people who had seen me in um, professional settings and just, you know, got to see some of those capabilities there. And so, you know, she sent me a few places and she said, you know, I, the University of Houston Clear Lake Marriage and Family Therapy Program is awesome. Um, she gave me some like great testimonials from students in the past that have, that have gone through it. Um, and just kind of by doing my own research, I, I figured out, you know, hey, they have the gold standard yeah. of, um, you know, what they're offering. And so I decided ultimately, hey, this is this is what I want to do. Um, the application process was fairly easy um, in the sense that, you know, it, it's pretty similar to like the undergraduate process, okay. you know, sending in your transcripts and things like that. Um, you do have to take the GRE exam, um, kind of pretty similar to, uh, like a SAT or, or I don't know what those tests a are. SAT, ACT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all those standardized tests, uh, kind of something similar to that a little bit, um, you know, maybe a little bit tougher, yeah. um, you know, but taking that and, um, it was it was actually pretty nerve wracking just looking at the like their acceptance rate and things like that. Um, you know, I was like, oh my god, I don't know if I'm going to get in. Right. Um, 
you know, and I think it was only, it was something like they only accept 16 people per year. Okay. Um, but we went in for, it was a two day interview process. Um, some one-on-one interview. Um, it was a lot of group collaboration. It was a lot of problem solving, um, scenarios kind of brought to the table. And so they would Um, observe you as you're working with a group. Exactly. Exactly. So we would sit at a round table. Um, we were, we were kind of separated off into groups. Um, and with, you know, they would give us a, a piece of paper with a, um, you know, some sort of anecdote of, um, a scenario that could possibly happen in a therapeutic setting Yes, and just kind of said, all right, you know, solve it. And, you know, you know, everybody brought everybody's background brought that, you know, brought to the table, different perspectives and different approaches and different ways of, of viewing the scenario. Um, and so they, they sat around and they observed it. Um, <laughs> and I honestly, I can't remember what I said or, you know, what had happened. Um, uh, but I guess they seemed to like it. So <laughs> I guess so. They accepted you yeah. and I'll accept about 16 people out of how many yeah. people were there. Do you think on the first day you might not remember? I don't <laughs> I want to say, um, probably like 30, 35 people. Okay. And so those Uh, are the people that they had selected from the initial application, paper application. They probably review those and make a selection of people to interview. Yes. And I know that they had said that there was a few that were doing virtual um, applicant, you know, like virtual interviews because they're, they're from out of state and just couldn't make it to the in-person um, interview. So I know there was a few like out of state applicants and things like that as well. So I would probably say closer to like 50. Yes. Um, you know, 45, 50 that, that made it to the interview round. Right. I don't know exactly how many applied. Right. Well, it, it sounds like kind of a fun interview process if it wasn't for the fact that you're sitting there <laughs> wondering if you'll be selected. Uh, but otherwise- It was. It kind of reminded me of, um, I think now they have them, though. They're like the escape the room or something. Oh, yes. Um, it kind of, I mean, it, it was kind of like that setting where it's just like, okay, here's the five of you in a room and here's, you know, an issue, you know, solve it. And don't, you know, don't call us or don't come out until you decided this is what you're going to do. So it was, it was pretty interesting and I have to give him that. Yeah. And so, okay. Um, in terms of like going through graduate school, like what was the graduate school process? Like kind of what sticks out for you in terms of what that was like and, um, and kind of, you know, what did you have to do in order to complete the program? Um, yeah. So the program itself was three years long um, to finish. Um, the first year was strictly academic, so it was full-time um, school, uh, Monday through Friday, about four days of the week. I think there was like four or five classes. I think it was a 12-hour, um, you know, 12-hour term. So it was like that for three semesters, fall, um, spring semester and then summer and then the second year sort of following right after that 
And then the second semester of the second year was when we started practicum. So at the university, there is actually the psychological services clinic that's open to public. So at, by, you know, middle of second year, we were actually able to see clients. Um, so that was something that was pretty cool. Our cohort was split into two. And, you know, so we had six people, about six or seven people on one night and the second set on a different night. And we saw clients in the clinic. Um, and what was pretty nerve wracking about that was that your entire cohort was looking at you through a glass wall. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the added, you know, it was the, I don't know what I'm doing. And this the added layer of now everybody's watching me, but it was, I think one of the most crucial elements to realizing, you know, to really kind of soak in just the human perspective of everything, just, just to be able to feel comfortable to sit and share a space with another human. Um, and that was sort of the crucial element that we learned there. And then going into, so we were there for in the clinic for, I want to say um, two semesters. So all of summer, all of fall, and then starting our third year, um, we completed two years of academics, half a year, a year of practicum, and then our third year was completely off-site, and we, we had an internship. So I was at, um, everybody went through the internship, the, the internship interviews the summer before, and uh, we replaced at a site that it was ultimately like a double rank. So we ranked the site that we liked, they ranked us, and then it was like a paired okay. uh, situation. Um, I inter I was placed at Memorial Hermann. Which is a hospital so, here in Houston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and so I was placed at Memorial Hermann and I was there for a year. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what was that experience like? It was honestly like the most amazing experience so the memorial herman's um behavioral health unit uh is, is sort of divided up into um a couple of categories one is the their psychiatric response team so they're a mobile unit that can go around so the hospital system has like multiple locations throughout Houston. And so the response team um, is sort of dispatched and goes to each hospital and does psychiatric evaluations of patients that um, need that additional care. So they're coming into the ER and they appear suicidal or homicidal or have any type of psychiatric symptoms. Uh, a team member will go in and do an evaluation and then, you know, give an analysis of like the ongoing care for them. Um, so they have their psychiatric response team, their case management. So once the, that patient is discharged, if they need to be put on like case management, um, then someone will follow up into the community setting with them and kind of help them get connected to 
um, either shelter or jobs or just like follow up care with them. Okay. So you were able to kind of work on the psychiatric response team side of it. Yeah. So I was kind of able to rotate through all of the divisions. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then the third one was the Memorial Herman Park, which is their um, rehabilitation center. So I was able to, um, you know, be in the substance use um, department as well. So it was really cool that I was able to rotate between all three divisions. Yes, yeah, almost like three different internships, really. <laughs> yeah, it was. It really was, and it, you know, I it was just an amazing experience um, altogether. Okay, that, that's that's great. And so now, tell us about okay. You finish. So when you're done with your internship, then that's pretty much it. No, wait a minute. What do you, you have a test you have to take, don't you? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> well, we're not funny. done after that. Yeah. yeah. So we're not done just yet. Okay. So after, you know, the school is, you know, our, our program is finished. We've completed our internship um, and we graduate. And then we have to take uh, the national board exam. Um, and so I spent the next couple of weeks um, throughout the summer. Um, so I graduated in May. I spent, you know, pretty much all of February, uh, March, April, May, June, um, studying and preparing for the exam. Okay. And then in July, I took the exam. Okay. And, you know, once you pass the exam, it takes a few weeks for them to kind of send in your um, test results. So the next, after I took it, the next six weeks was absolute, you know, a nightmare oh. of you know, checking and not checking and has it come in or has it not. Um, six weeks. That's so long to wait. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so long. They just mess with you. Oh. Um, so then once that comes in, um, you kind of round up all the paperwork um, you know, showing your degree, showing that you passed the test. Um, and at that point you have to find a supervisor. So depending on where you decide to start your journey, whether it's, uh, you know, any place that you work, there has to be a marriage and family therapist supervisor, um, contracted to you. Okay. Um, so at that point I found a supervisor that I liked um, you sign a supervisory agreement form and you take all that nice little pretty documents and you send it to the state board in Austin. Okay. Um, and then upon review of everything, you now become licensed to practice. So I want to say the entire process from like graduation to taking the exam um, finding a supervisor, getting in all the documents, shipping it in, doing all that probably took about four months. Okay. Wow. So there, there's this like four month gap of like not really being able to do anything. Um, and so it was kind of tough, you know? Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like, Hey, I worked so hard and now I'm, I've got my hands tied. Yeah. I'm just waiting. Um, Waiting to, yeah, to, to waiting. be board approved to be able to practice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then this little pretty paper comes in and you're licensed as a marriage and family therapist associate. Okay. Yay. 
Yay. Um, finally. And um, at that point, you just kind of, uh, you've got two years underneath a supervisor and you have to accumulate 3,000 hours. So um, 3,000 hours of, you know, it, it's sort of split up into different categories. And then once you've completed the 3,000 hours, you submit for full licensure. And then you, you're just independent. Okay. Sounds yeah. great. And so how did you find a supervisor? Um, so luckily, so th it, it's kind of an a interesting dynamic that kind of felt like, it fell into place for me. Okay. Um, Brent Bradley was the previous director of the marriage and family therapy program. And so he also is the owner of the couple zone practice in Houston. Oh. So while I was in my internship, my final internship semester at, at Memorial Hermann Hospital, he had reached out and was looking to bring on a, you know, a student into the practice and kind of give them the opportunity to kind of embark on the journey there. And so, you know, I was recommended for the position and also so happened that my supervisor at Memorial Herman was a therapist at the couple's own practice. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was really cool because now I had a supervisor, Memorial Herman, who was also a colleague with me in private practice. Yes. And so um, my, now that I'm at the couple zone practice, um, we actually have a supervisor on site. So her name is Heather Timmis and she's a marriage and family therapist supervisor. Um, and so, you know, she agreed to, start this process with me and she's amazing. So, um, you know, every, everybody kind of has their preference. I think people find supervisors that they, you know, people interview supervisors. So you, um, you, you go out and, and you can, you know, there, there's sort of multiple ways there's, you can, if you, if you know that you want to be in a particular um, population that you want to work with, you know, people look for supervisors that work specifically with that population or have certain um, certifications or certain specialties. Um, some people find supervisors that they feel like personally aligned with that allows them to just feel comfortable and talk to. Mm -hmm. um, some supervisors offer like individual supervision and group supervision. Um, you know, so there, there's definitely lots of variables in, in finding somebody that you mesh well with. So it's a little bit of a process. So it wasn't as easy as like, oh, just kind of go out and grab a supervisor. <laughs> um, it was definitely a long process and a long journey of exploring and talking to people and, and kind of seeing who you sit well with, you know? Okay. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of like, yeah, finding... Well, reminds me a little bit of like finding a therapist. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Got to find someone who, who you click well with and that you work well with. The, right. 
Uh, okay, so you mentioned the couple zone. So yes, yeah, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the couple zone now and kind of what other things you're doing now in your current career. Yeah, so I've been at the couple zone kind of coming on um, a year and like eight months or something like that. Okay. Um, so uh, pretty, pretty long journey with them. Um, they, it's been absolutely wonderful. Uh, it's given me the flexibility and the independence at the same, you know, at the same time where it's allowed me to build my own schedule and, um, you know, do what I, what I really love to do and kind of have my own space. Um, so I work primarily with individuals and couples there. Um, I finished the advanced core skills in emotionally focused therapy. So, um, that's my sort of, um, approach when I work with couples. And so I've been there for a while. Um, and things have just been, you know, wonderful there. I, I love it. My passion just truly lives in couples work. Um, and a few months ago, I came across the opportunity to work with um, adolescents with neurological disorders. So um, I, a few months ago, began working at the Monarch School here in Houston, and it's a private school that's tailored to students with neurological disorders. So I do individual therapy with them. Um, and most of my uh, students are in high school. So between like anywhere from like 13 years old to about like 19. Okay. So I work with them in the day. Um, and then when I get off, um, I go to private practice and I see couples and um, on the weekend I see couples and individuals. And so I've, I've been able to really just embrace all of the different um, types of clients that I have. Yeah, I mean, it's going back to something you said in the beginning. I mean, you loved very like a lifespan <laughs> like you know there are many different things about across the lifespan that you're interested in so you're able to kind of work with adolescents as they develop uh, but then also work with adults in terms of their relationship development but then also with couples in terms of their interaction so you're getting a really nice variety there yeah definitely a great spectrum of of um of people to work with yeah well um those are all the questions I have. The only thing that I wanted to ask is if you had any advice for students or recent graduates, just, I don't know, just any words of wisdom or advice that you might have for them, or if there's anything else that you wanted to share, but I didn't ask, feel free to share now. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, something that I would share with, with students that are kind of going through the same journey I think it can feel, you know, very overwhelming in the beginning as far as feeling like you don't know where to go or where to start or how to do things or that you have to have all the right answers right away. And I really want to be, you know, a, a testimony to the fact that there's not 
a single way to do it, right? And that sometimes in life or sometimes through this journey, you're going to go through times and moments of, um, you know, feeling like this isn't right for me, or this isn't how I want it to be, or I really love this, or I don't know if I really like that. And all of those things are okay to do, right? Yes. You know, when I started this, you know, journey, um, almost 10 years ago, it looked nothing like it, it looks today, right? I went in as a person who was so sure I wanted to be a dentist. And today I sit in a room and share intimate details with couples, right? right? It's so, so different from the beginning to now on where I imagined I'd be in life. And sometimes that's going to happen to us along the way. And I think through experiences and through meeting people and through going through different opportunities, you're going to learn about what you love. You're going to learn about yourself. Um, and you're really going to learn, you know, things about you that you had never known. Um, and so just give yourself grace on that and know that you may graduate and you may leave and you may say, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. And, and that's okay. Um, but don't ever feel, you know, feel free to like reach out to people around you and ask questions and, and learn about yourself and get feedback from other people. And I think those are the most important questions we can ask. Um, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, those, that's all uh, very, very wise um, encouragement. Um, yeah. It, <laughs> If, if only things seemed like they were a straight line. It, I, I've read some quote that said like, oh, it's only linear, linear in the rear view. It's only like linear in hindsight. And it seems like people got to some linear path, but. Um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Very rarely is it ever just a straight path. And, you know, I think that's, that's kind of what happens for a lot of students is, you know, that sense of like, I don't know what I want to do and I don't know where I want to be. And sometimes you're going to be in places where you try it out and, you know, you're two months in and you're like, oh my gosh, I hate this right. or I don't like it or this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. And I think it's really, really good to listen to yourself in those moments, right? I agree. Listen to yourself in those moments where you feel like, I, I don't feel passionate about this. I don't feel, um, you know, this isn't, you know, listen to yourself in there. Cause I think you, everybody knows themselves best. Right. And you, you, you just got to take, um, you got to take it for what it is. And, um, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to fail and start over. Yeah. I mean, like you said, going back to something you said earlier too, I mean, that long view, it's better to kind of make a pivot, make a change, try something different as opposed to, you know, spending decades sort of <laughs> dreading what you're doing for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I've I always enjoyed talking with you. Every time I talk with you about your um, just your journey. It, it never gets old to me. I still like hearing about it, even though you've been gracious enough to speak to my own classes. <laughs> I'm, glad that oh, we, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we get to share this with a wider audience now. And hopefully HDFS students, not just at the University of Houston, but um, all over can, can hear and be inspired and encouraged by your story. Of course. And thank you for, you know, having me and considering me. I mean, it's, 
it's always a pleasure to to share and I feel like every time I share my story I learn something or think about something that I hadn't before so it's always sort of a breath of fresh air to to kind of relive it and you know become you know just really grateful of all the things I've been able to experience so it it's wonderful for me to share and also for me to like relive it a little bit yes I'm glad to hear that all right well thank you so much Sapita yeah thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode of the HDFS Careers Podcast. If you have recommendations for HDFS or other family science alumni to interview, please reach out to me at hdfscareers.com. Don't worry if they are not working in a job that would normally be considered in the field of human development and family studies. I am interested in hearing a variety of stories, especially if they are working outside of academia. If you like this podcast and want other people to be able to find it, please rate it and review it in iTunes or share it on social media. Until next time, keep exploring your future possibilities.